0: You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. You can go ahead and take your seats. We're going to keep going in our series called Don't Be Afraid, and today, again, we're going to be reminded why we don't have to fear, because Jesus is the King of Kings, and our text is going to show that. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter seven. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers will give a Bible to you. All you gotta do is put your hand up, and you can keep the Bible if you don't own one. Uh, When you read the Gospels, you'll often see crowds marveling at Jesus. And they marvel at Jesus Because Jesus is always doing amazing things. And so they're amazed by him. When you read the gospels, you see Jesus healing people. You see him feeding thousands of people. You see him raising people from the dead. You see him answering really difficult questions with ease and just calm. You see him at weddings, just relaxing. And then getting up and turning water into wine, Jesus did amazing things, and so it makes sense that people marveled at him, but there's two times that we're told that Jesus marveled, that something amazed him. The first time we're told that is in Mark chapter 6, and it says that he marveled because of their unbelief, and so Jesus here is in his hometown, and he's shocked, he's amazed at the level of unbelief that he's seeing in the people, the lack of faith that they have in him. The other time that Jesus marvels is in our text today. And he marvels not because of unbelief. He marvels because of belief. He's amazed by the faith that he sees in the centurion man. And Jesus is so amazed that he actually commends this guy's faith to everyone watching. Now if Jesus commends this guy's faith, then this is the kind of faith we want. This is the kind of faith we need to live with. This is the kind of faith that helps us overcome fear. So we need to find out what it looks like. Look at chapter seven, verse one with me. It says, after he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation. And he is the one who built our synagogues. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far off from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. And so, Father, you tell us that Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so I pray, Lord, that we would hear you today from your word. I pray, Father, that what we hear, what we see about Jesus would increase our faith in him. That faith would come. That we would leave, Lord, today filled with faith. Thankful for the reality that we know Jesus. That he is in our life. And I pray, God, for that person who has not met Jesus. They haven't turned to him for their salvation, and they come, and maybe sometimes they're a little bit bored by what happens here, Lord. Would you open their eyes today to the one who can save them, to the one who is in Authority. So I pray for you to give me words, Lord, that would help my brothers and sisters in Christ. That what I say today would build them up in their faith. That they would leave here encouraged and trusting Jesus in all things. And we pray this, Lord, because your son made it possible for us to come to you. Amen. Amen. Faith that Jesus commands, point number one, is expressed humbly. It's expressed Humbly. We appreciate people who are humble, people who live their lives and they're not, they're not acting like they're entitled to things, that they ha- certain things have to be given to them. The employee who doesn't think that they need uh, an extra week's vacation or an extra bump in pay because they've made the company a little bit more money this year. The athlete who doesn't think they need extra uh, playing time because they've had a few good games in a row. They're humble, humble. And we appreciate people like this. We commend people like this. And the centurion is a person like this. He was a humble man. And his humility is seen in the faith that he shows in Jesus in a difficult situation. The centurion, we're going to see, he's in a very hard spot. But his humility comes out in his expression of his Faith. Look at verse 1 with me again. It says, after he had finished all the sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. So that's Jesus. He's just finished his sermon on the plain, so he's just done preaching, and now he's in Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. Now a centurion was a commander of about a hundred or so men. They were Gentiles and they were in the Roman army and they were considered to be strong men. Here's how one historian described them. Men who can command, steady in action and reliable. When hard pressed, they must be ready to hold their ground and die at their post. So he was a strong man. They were also well paid. So we find out here he's strong, he's wealthy, and in that culture that means he would have been powerful. But here you see a powerful man who is powerless in the face of death. And the situation is serious. Luke says the servant is at the point of death. And the servant's situation, his prognosis, right? Luke doesn't give us much details. He doesn't tell us what the illness is. He just gives us the prognosis. He says, this guy's about to die, and this prognosis reminds us that death confronts us all. Death is something that we all face. Now, we don't like to think about death. We don't like to talk about death. The idea of death, we like to keep that at arm's length. A great book that I read this year called When Breath Becomes Air, and it's, a, it's worth your time to read this book. It's on the subject of death. It's a very good book. The author in the book says, the fact of death is unsettling, yet there's no other way to live. And that unsettling feeling, I've experienced that. A few years back, many years ago now, my cousin was shot and killed. And I remember being at this funeral and I was unsettled. I remember intentionally sitting at the back and even f- having family members come up and saying, Marv, what are you doing here? And I was afraid to tell them that just being that close to death was, was unsettling, that it was making me anxious and uneasy. And death can do that to us sometimes, Makes us, gives us that Anxious feeling that we fear that. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we don't have to fear death. We can face death with faith. Because at the resurrection, when Jesus was raised from the grave, death was defeated. As Robert Jackson said to me last week, that was our final enemy and Jesus defeated it. And if we have believed that Jesus lived for us, that Jesus died for our sins on the cross, that Jesus has been raised for our justification. If we believe that here today, the Bible says that we are saved. That we are saved. And just as Jesus was raised from the grave, one day you and I will be raised. And when we are in glory, when we are with Jesus, we'll be able to look at death and say, where is your sting? That's the hope that we live with today. And if you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you can have this hope. This hope can be yours today. All you've got to do is trust in Jesus for your salvation. So the centurion sends for Jesus to come and help, and it says it's because he valued his servant. Luke tells us he highly valued his servant. That word valued could be translated precious. That the servant was precious to him. He loved him. He cared about him. Which was not the norm back then. In that culture, servants weren't viewed as precious. Servants weren't viewed as valuable. They were used. As, viewed as someone to be used. And just tossed away once you are done with them, like an old dish rag. You know that old dish rag? Maybe it's at some of your houses right now. It's got holes in it. You've had it for a long time. And it's tattered, it's beat up. And no matter how much you wash it, that scent just doesn't go away. And so what do you do after a while? You toss it out. That's how servants were viewed. Something. Someone who's disposable. That's not how the centurion, though, is viewing his servant. He doesn't see somebody disposable. He sees a person. He sees a human being. He sees someone who is precious in God's sight. Somebody to be respected. Somebody to be honored. Somebody to be cared for. Somebody to be loved. And you and I, we can see people this way, too. See, it doesn't matter what a person does for a living. It doesn't matter their role in an organization. It doesn't matter the station that they have in life. They're precious in the sight of God, and we will treat people with respect. We'll treat them with dignity. We will care for them. We will honor them when we remember that every single person we interact with, Every single person that comes into our sphere of influence is made in the image of God. Believer and unbeliever. And that they're deserving of respect and honor. So the centurion wants his servant to be healed. That word healed has the idea of carrying someone safely through a dangerous ordeal. And so that tells us here that the servant is suffering that he is in pain, and so he sends elders to Jesus. And look at what they say when they get there. Verse four, and when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying he's worthy to have you do this for him, Jesus, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built our synagogues. To see Jews lobbying for a soldier in the occupying army, would." Probably a little strange to some people, but they're doing this because the centurion is a good man. We see from what they say, we're reminded again that he's loving. We heard already, he's loving. He loved his servant, and that's why he moves to help him. But we also find out here that he's generous. It says that he loved us, and he helped us build the synagogue. He gave to their efforts to building their own Building. So we learn more about the centurion, but we also learn how the elders think about God. We learn how they think. They think to get Jesus to help, they've got to convince him that this guy's worthy. They point to his record. They say, based on all these things, Jesus, he loves us, he built the synagogue, he's done some good things. So you owe him, Jesus. We've got to do something to help this guy. They think God gives grace to people because of their good record. And I've thought like this. I've caught myself thinking this way. I think, well... If I just, I'm just i a good guy all week, if I'm just nice to people, if I'm just avoiding sin, if I'm reading my Bible, I'm intentionally trying to pray a lot, doing all those good Christian things, then God's going to bless my sermon on Sunday. If I just make sure that my, my, my record is okay, then God is going to owe me something. And in our age of entitlement, this is a common way of thinking. This type of person, when I'm doing this, I'm trusting in my good deeds instead of trusting in the goodness of God. See, God doesn't move to help us because we are worthy. The Bible actually tells us that no one is worthy. That no one can look at God and say, you owe me, God. No one can do that. When God gives grace to us and he gives us lots of grace, Even the unbeliever experiences common grace from God. When God gives grace to us, all we can say is, thank you, God. I didn't deserve this much grace, but you gave it anyway because you are good and you love to give good things to your children. So the elders come to Jesus in a wrong way, but he goes with them. Look at verse 6 and Jesus went with them he as uh, and Jesus went with them sorry when he was not far off from the house the centurion sent friends saying to him lord do not trouble yourself for i am not worthy to have you come under my roof therefore i did not presume to come to you but say the word and let my servant be healed jesus goes because of his compassion for people Jesus goes because his compassion knows no bounds. Race doesn't stand in the way. Our social standing doesn't stand in the way. Jesus helps all types of people. And the centurion hears that he is coming and as he hears that he's like, "Uh, hold up. Jesus is coming? Tell him to stop." He hears that Jesus is on his way and he sends his friends. He's like, "Go to him and tell him not to come. And we hear his humility. He says, Jesus, I'm not even worthy of a personal visit from you. Don't come. Jesus, I'm so unworthy, I wouldn't even come to you myself. You don't need to come. People try to guess why he sends the second group, why he sends friends, we don't know for sure. But here's what we do know for sure. We know that the centurion was a loving man. We know that the centurion was a generous man. We know that he was a humble man. And here's something else that we know for sure. Jesus was like this, but in a greater way. The Bible tells us that Jesus was loving, that he loved us, And gave himself for us. The Bible tells us that Jesus was generous, that he was rich in heaven, that he had everything, and that he gave all of that up in order to come so that by his poverty we might become rich, rich in salvation. So we know Jesus is loving, we know Jesus is generous. We're also told by the Bible that Jesus is humble, that he humbled himself to the point of death, death on a cross. And men in the room today, as followers of Jesus Christ, as sons, as husbands, siblings, church members, employees, neighbors, friends, this is the kind of men we can be. We too can be loving to the people in our lives. We, too, can be generous to the people in our lives. We, too, can be humble as we submit to the Spirit every single day. The Spirit is in us, and these things happen in us when we let him lead each day. Every single person in this room can be this way because the Spirit is living in you. So the centurion asks for help with humility. Humility. He says, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. This is a theological truth that applies to all. Every single person is unworthy. See, his hope of being helped by Jesus was not based on his goodness and power. His hope of being helped by Jesus was based on the goodness and power of Jesus. He expresses faith in a humble way He believed Jesus could help him, so he asked with no thought that something was owed to him. You don't get a whiff of entitlement from the centurion. And again, we can do this too. When things come into our lives that make us feel powerless, when things come into our lives that causes us to fear, we can humbly turn to Jesus asking him for help. Fully aware that Jesus owes us nothing, but asking anyway. Humbly trusting that he will answer in his perfect timing and that he will answer in the ways that are best for us because Jesus has all of the information and so he will give us the answer that's going to make us grow to be more like him. So the centurion has... Amazing faith. He asked for help without meeting Jesus. You catch that? Luke says he's only heard of Jesus. He never meets Jesus. But he believes in him without seeing him. And Jesus tells us that people who believe like this are blessed. That people who believe in him without seeing him are blessed in John. John chapter 20, verse 29, he says, blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Peter, in his epistle, picks up on this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in his name and rejoice with joy. This is faith. This is faith that many in this room have right now. We haven't seen Jesus face to face, but we believe in him. We haven't seen Jesus face to face, but we love him. We haven't seen Jesus face to face, but we believe in the work that he has done on the cross to save us from our sins. We haven't seen Jesus face to face, but one day we will see Jesus face to face. And everything on that day, everything that is sad will come untrue. Jesus will make everything right. He will make us new. Jesus says, because of this kind of faith, we are blessed today. And so maybe you walked in today and you're like, Marv, I wasn't feeling blessed. This should change your mind. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are blessed. See, so often we think of blessing as the things in our life. What we have, stuff. I'm blessed because of my car. I'm blessed because of my house. I'm blessed because of my friends. We are blessed because our sins are forgiven. That's what it means to be blessed in the truest and biblical sense. And if you're here today... And your faith is in Christ, you are blessed, and you should leave here today fully aware. I am blessed because Jesus is in my life. I know him, and he loves me, and one day he's coming for me. The centurion goes to Jesus because, just like Peter, he's seeing Jesus clearly. Last week we saw, Peter saw Jesus clear. The centurion's the same thing. In verse 6, he calls Jesus Lord. Lord, he calls him to see the centurion is a ruler over soldiers. But he's not a ruler over creation, he's not a ruler over heaven and earth. Jesus is. And the centurion recognizes that. He recognizes the authority that Jesus has. That's why he says to Jesus just say the word. See that there in verse 7? Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. All you got to do is say it, Jesus, and you will be obeyed. He understands that Jesus has divine authority. Look at verse 8. It says, for I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. You can write this down. Faith that Jesus commends recognizes his Authority Number two, recognizes his authority. See, when we know Jesus, when we understand the authority that Jesus has, when we understand that Jesus helps those who are unworthy, our confidence in Jesus goes up. What the centurion is saying to Jesus is, your authority extends over space, distance, and disease. Your authority extends to all areas of our lives. You are in full control, Jesus. And so just stand where you are and say the word. You don't even have to be here, Jesus. Just say it. Just like soldiers and servants obey the centurion, sickness and death obeys Jesus, all creation. The centurion recognizes this somehow. Again, when you read the Gospels, what you'll find is you'll, you'll see people who are challenging the authority of Jesus. Pharisees challenge the authority of Jesus. They doubt what he says. They doubt the answers that he gives to questions. They doubt his ability to forgive sins, though he has that ability. They walk away grumbling at Jesus. And that happens in our day. People challenge the authority of Jesus. They say, you really believe what's written in that book? Those are just words on a page. They doubt the word of Jesus Christ. They challenge him. They doubt that he is God come to earth to save sinful man. They say, yeah, there's some historical facts that Jesus walked the earth. But we don't know. He's not really God. He was just a guy. See, they challenge the authority of Jesus because they just don't want to give up authority in their life. They don't want to come under his rule and his leadership. Many people today would be saved if they would recognize that in their challenging the authority of Jesus, it's just pride and that they need to humble themselves and come under the one who is ruling and Reigning, and as they challenge that authority, they're missing out on the salvation that he offers. See, the Holy Spirit is teaching us here not to challenge the authority of Jesus, but in faith to humbly recognize it, to humbly affirm his authority, to humbly submit to his authority in every single area of our Lives And to ask him to exercise his authority in the challenges that we face. As we look at our marriages and the challenges that can be there. As we look at our money and the challenges that are there. In our friendships, the challenges we face. In our singleness, the challenges we face. We turn to Jesus and ask him for help. Humbly asking him to do something about it. Jesus Spoke in parables a lot. And what we see here is that he catches the drift of the centurion. And his response to the centurion's faith is amazement. He's emotional. He's like, wow. Is anybody else seeing this? He says, not even in Israel have I found such faith. That is the key saying in this whole section. He's like, wait a minute. I've never seen faith like this. And you got to think about this. He says, not even in Israel have I seen faith like this. The people of Israel have seen the Red Sea part. The people of Israel have seen a donkey talk. They've seen the sun stand still. The people of Israel have seen barren women give birth. They have seen a virgin... Bear a son. They've seen fire come down from heaven. And Jesus is like, I've never seen faith like this. They didn't have faith like this Roman soldier. And what you see here is confident faith, believing in the authority that Jesus has. It's this faith that leads to the healing of his sermon. The healing reveals That he's right for thinking this way. Jesus does have this authority. It also reveals to us that God is not partial. That he helps all types of people. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, then we are not to be partial either. See, as a commander, the centurion is used to being in charge. But grace Comes into his life when he gives up trying to be in control. He's no longer trying to fix things on his own. He's humble. And we can experience this grace too. It happens when we stop acting like we're in charge. It happens when we stop trying to grab for control in those difficult situations. See, Jesus is not physically present with us now. But we can turn to Jesus in faith. When those difficult things come, we can humbly call on Him to exercise His authority in our situation. We do this by faith. And in those moments, what we're saying is Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, you're in control. I am not. And so I don't know what you are facing today. And I figure in a room like this, this size, people are facing difficult things. Things that are tricky. Things that cause us to fear. But we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to try to grab for control. We humbly turn to Jesus and ask him to help. Saying, we trust you. Help me. You're the one in authority. The centurion had humility mixed with confident faith. And that's what Jesus commends. This is the faith he wants in our lives. Luke tells us that when Jesus says this, he turns. He turns to the people. Another significant thing in the text, that he turns. Because in turning, what Jesus is saying is, I have never seen faith like this. Learn from this. He's saying, learn from this centurion. Learn from his faith. Learn to humbly come to me in times of need. Learn to humbly come with confidence in my authority and my ability to deal with your situation. This is the kind of faith that Jesus commends. And we can have this faith. Because the spirit is alive in us. And that spirit that is is alive in us today is saying, learn from this. He's telling us, live like this. Trust Jesus and turn to him in everything. Pray with me. So, Father, we thank you for your son, Lord, who again we see that we can trust. And Lord, you will remind us again that we have nothing to fear, that we can live our life by faith, that we can live by faith in your son who loved us and gave himself for us, your word says, that we can live by faith in your son who was generous towards us, that we can live by faith in your son who was humble, that we can live by faith in your son who is the Lord who is in authority, that all things are subject to him. And so I pray that you would increase our faith in your son, Jesus Christ, that you would cause us, Lord, to trust him at all times. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.